everyone, and welcome to New Way, the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Friends, welcome to our very first Advent season on this podcast. This holiday may be punctuated by the things we've always looked forward to, and in a lot of ways, this year it will be very different. The sanctuary places where we once used to gather are not accessible in ways that we're used to. What is Christmas Eve without us huddled together in pews, glancing around the room at shining and hopeful faces all around us, holding our melting candles as we sing Silent Night? I'm sure you have your own list to add. In the midst of the challenges 2020 Christmas brings, is there a way to seize and even celebrate the opportunities that lie within? Welcome to the in-between times, and welcome to Advent, a season in the faith that has always been an invitation to those threshold moments that transform us. Many of you know we started this podcast to celebrate and examine the relationships between people, our communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. But in the year and a half since we first launched this podcast, we are living in a new world. As we enter the holiday season and mark COVID-19's first birthday, we ask you to join us as we listen, engage, and pose thoughtful questions to ourselves and to you, our listeners. We aim to prompt faithful action and invite imagination about a more faithful church and world that could emerge in the months and years to come. We welcome those of you who are newly joining us. We're glad you're here. God is so big and so expansive, but God won't hesitate to come as a baby. We have these big prayers and God sends like a baby. Not only have we waited like hundreds of years for you to show up, but then when you show up, I have to wait another 20 years for you to grow to adulthood and do anything. Like how God welcomes that, but also there's obviously a point, like God chose that for a reason, and that that, there's no lengths God won't go to, to meet us where we are. Today we're joined by one of my favorite people to talk with about God because she is so real and so incredibly forthright, the Reverend Becca Blake, who is the co-founder of Beacon Church in the Kensington Fishtown neighborhood of Philadelphia, as well as a pastor at Pine Street Presbyterian Church. We talk about God showing up as a baby in a stable and Mary's so-called birth plan being disrupted. Becca introduces us to the discipline of imagining ourselves in that first Christmas story. And we practice that together, linking that story to our own journey into motherhood. I also try my best to link Luke's Christmas tale to my favorite obsession, the BBC docudrama called The Midwife. If you're familiar with the show, you understand. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Becca. Thanks for welcoming me. I'm happy to be here. We wanted to start out this conversation thinking about this year, but also looking back in the previous Advents, um, will you just describe, so you are um, serving two churches at the same time. Yeah, so um, I co-founded Beacon Church. I also work at a church called Old Pine Presbyterian um, in a different part of Philly. So we would do different ways of kind of integrating art into worship and life and reflection. So at Old Pine, that's a little bit more in a Christian education format. So kind of intergenerational coloring posters, illustrated ministry has some really great resources around that, Mm -hmm. that we've used a lot. And then at Beacon, because we're on the smaller side, we've been able to do some really cool installations over the years. And so 
the text that year had a lot to do with fear and excitement, kind of two sides of the same coin. So we invited people to write out their fears and hopes um, on slips of paper throughout Advent and kind of collected them in like a big glass bowl that filled up over the course of the month. And then for Christmas, I kind of painted those into a star shape on this big floor mural. And then we hung ribbons, gold ribbons with stars on them from this grid we have in the ceiling, which reminds me, we have a light installation of 200 light bulbs in our sanctuary. So that's kind of visually impressive (laughs) on its own yeah and if you're listening and you're like i've never done anything like that with slips of paper it might be because like becca blake is also an artist a visual artist do you have a favorite i want to say christmas character but you know like in general but also religiously like the idea of mary jesus (laughs) joseph the shepherds the wise men i'm gonna i would cheat and say two so i really like Mary and Elizabeth and their story. Will you tell those of us who read the truncated version of the Christmas story about Elizabeth and Mary's relationship? (laughs) Uh, So Elizabeth was uh, the mother of John the Baptist. So tradition tells us. And she was also Mary's cousin. Much older cousin. Yeah. And Elizabeth uh, has wanted a child for all of her life and has not been able to have one. And an angel comes to her husband and says, hey, you're going to have a kid. And he's like, oh, you're crazy. We're old. Yeah. And the angel's like, well, uh, I'm not crazy. And because you doubted me, you get to be silent until the baby shows up. So I, he came out of the temple. Can you publish that version of the story? <laughs> right yeah. there first. Yeah. yeah. So he's silenced. Yeah. yeah. So he can't speak until John is born. And what always struck me as wild about that story is that he just had to come home and Elizabeth like had no idea what was going on. She might not have even known that she, she was loved pregnant it. yet. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe she did. But she like she might not have known that she was pregnant yet because it took you a while. Mm-hmm. They didn't have like digital clear blue like, easy seven tests day like, tests. No, and so like there was some time where she was like, "What is happening? Like something mm. clearly happened to him in the temple. I don't know what it is. This feels weird in my body, but this cannot be happening. Like it's yes. just not possible. You know, like and." All of those things happening. And so then you have Mary, who's so young and pregnant and fleeing to Elizabeth, in my mind, because it's dangerous to be young and suspected, I guess, of adultery. And so Mary flees to her, Mm -hmm. in my paraphrase, uh, for refuge and comfort and encouragement, not knowing that Elizabeth was pregnant either. And so they kind of show up and there's this beautiful moment where... Mary is embraced by Elizabeth. So there's this kind of like homecoming and and comfort right there. And then Elizabeth says that uh, that's when she felt the baby move in her womb for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so there was something about like fetus John (laughs) that recognized (laughs) fetus Jesus. and And there was just this kind of like moment there and you know again if we're thinking in ancient times there's no ultrasounds there's no you know you don't know how you're doing yeah and there's so much anxiety waiting for those first movements to make sure things are okay and so to have mary have the confirmation of like okay i'm safe and this is okay and uh and elizabeth to have the confirmation that oh my god like this this child is is doing well i can feel him now you know i never thought of it that way i never thought about that she might not have known i I love that encounter and i love what a comfort they must have been to each other in such a strange strange season Mm -hmm. of their lives i want to be cognizant that you know there's folks listening who 
because the statistics are show this, that like are dealing with infertility, are not able to have children, are not, are waiting on adoption, are like all those kinds of things. And so that's a very, and I, you know, we struggled with infertility ourselves. And so there's just a lot there that makes this time of year very difficult for people, not even beyond the like cultural associations with like, I miss my loved one or that kind of stuff, which also makes it hard. So what we're practicing right now is something I've heard you call sacred imagination. Mm-hmm. Some of us have experienced the Bible text as this is the way it's written. And this is what the story is. And you look for sort of factual details about it, you know, and in a lot of times Christian education is presented that way mm-hmm. of like how many disciples were there? And the right answer is a specific number. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other ways of exploring the texts, which are, you know, much more imaginative and even inviting us to place ourselves in the story. It transports you to your own story and to their story and to the story of our faith simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Do you practice this sacred imagination in your own rhythms of faith? And Yeah, I mean, I think it comes up for me a lot in sermon writing and in Christian education. So kind of working with kiddos to kind of explain <laughs> some of these very strange stories and trying to paraphrase them so in ways that they can kind of enter into it too. So when I'm at my best and have set aside the right amount of time, that is the fun part. You know, like I think sometimes we get caught up in just kind of churning out stuff to get to the next Sunday, if I'm being super honest, sure, I don't like, but that's like sometimes just how it goes. And so when you get to kind of pause and really get into the text, um, that's when some of this can happen. I often sit a few months beforehand with some of our other leaders at Beacon, and we read through all of the texts that are in the lectionary and kind of just sit with them and see what images show up and what's like different ways we're hearing the stories this year, that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of part of it, too, is that we do that work ahead of time that it helps shape a whole season uh, in that way. And I've also worked with um, some folks who lead like Visio Divina practices. So, you know, Lectio Divina, we're listening for a word, but Visio Divina is you look at an image, share what comes up, more space and time, look at the image again, you know, like that kind of stuff. And so a couple of years ago, someone did that for a small group of clergy with a image from the artist uh, Jan Richardson. She's the best. She's who I want to be when I grew up. So (laughs) the reason I'm thinking of all this is because it was Elizabeth and Mary. It was an image of them. Mm. So simple and striking. And it was such a powerful experience that it just, I keep coming back to that when I'm doing prep for worship stuff. It's easy to forget that these stories were first embodied mm-hmm. and vocalized. They weren't mm-hmm. written down. Yeah. Um, so when we take the text and we embody it again or visualize it or dialogue about it or act it out, mm-hmm. it's very connected to the original ways in which these stories were shared. It's not an unfaithful thing to do or <laughs> an iconoclastic thing to do. It's um, no. People didn't have Bibles and children's books about the nativity sitting around or advent calendars filled with chocolate, which is a whole nother thing. (laughs) Mary's birth story is a particularly interesting, unique birth story. Um, Mm -hmm. When we're thinking about the practice of sacred imagination, I'm curious if we could do a little bit of that, Mm -hmm. like insights into that. What we know about the birth story of Jesus is contained in a couple of chapters in the gospel, according to Matthew Mm -hmm. and according to Luke. Uh, Mark starts off with Jesus's ministry, like, you know, 16 chapters, boom, boom, eight chapters in, it's the crucifixion already. 
um, John has a very poetic, beautiful meditation on the incarnation. Luke is really Mary's story. Mm-hmm. And, and it, a guy gets silenced during it, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the wise men are in Matthew. The shepherds are in Luke. It's a much more earthy, kind mm-hmm. of rustic, Sets, certainly, yeah. experience. One of the the insights I really appreciate about that story, that Hannah Quick, who's now leading... Um, Oak Abbey in New Orleans, mm-hmm. the whole, like, there was no room for them at the inn thing did not likely mean that they were, like, in the middle of nowhere with just her and Joseph, but that most households in that time uh, had the animals in the house because it was just warmer and more efficient <laughs> to have everybody together, but there would be kind of like a low wall partitioning off the animal side of the house and the people side of the house. So what some people kind of think happened was that there just wasn't like a bed or a room for them, but they were sleeping next to the animals, like on that side of the thing. So what I appreciated about that a lot is that it meant that it's not that likely that Mary and Joseph were alone and that they had people kind of around to help. But the thing that struck me thinking about this year and also in light of, you know, becoming a mother last year and the circumstances that made that challenging and weird for me was that Mary, she might not have been alone, but she most likely did not have the people that she wanted around her, Hmm. her mother or sister or cousin or friend or so-and-so that she had like hoped would be there to coach her through this incredibly ridiculous physical process that we're not there. And so I think it's likely that she had help from someone, but I don't think it was certainly not what she had dreamed <laughs> or planned or hoped uh, how that would go. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, I, I like thinking about that story and that there was hospitality there. And that's kind of the point that Hannah Quick was making when she preached on this, that the, those folks who made the space for the savior to be born. That's what we're called to do too, is to make a home in which people can experience or encounter God. Uh, So there's this kind of dual thing where I'm glad that they were with other people and they weren't utterly alone, but also kind of some empathy around that's not how they wanted it to go. And I think a lot of people are looking at this whole year and are thinking, pretty much none of this is how I wanted it to go. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag 2020. Right. Yeah. And like, and I mean, there's, there's bit joys. I've, you know, presided over baptisms. People have gotten married. Like there have been opportunities to grow closer because it's easier to do a midweek zoom thing than like get all bundled out of your house and go somewhere, you know? So there's definitely been some unexpected gifts of this year, but the cost of so many dreams and goals and lives. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's staggering. And so I think there's some resonances there around, uh, we're here and we're moving forward and there is new life, but the circumstances in which this is coming to us are not the ones we had hoped and are not even technically ideal, but there are enough. I was just reading something today about this, an essay by Debbie Thomas, and she was quoting Frederick Buechner and talking about the limitless God knows no limits of like humiliation. Hmm. God is so big and so expansive, but God won't hesitate to come as a baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like we need a, a savior. And her essay was talking about how we have these big prayers, these like 
We need an end to a pandemic. We need an end to racial injustice. We need an end to abuse and horror and all this kind of stuff. Please, God, like in the this Sundays, it's uh, I think it's Isaiah, like, oh, that you would rend open the heavens and come down. Like, mm-hmm. it's huge, huge prayers. And Debbie Thomas writes about how, and God sends like a baby. How embarrassing. Yeah. Like, what? Like, what were you yeah. thinking? Like, this is, this, oh, so we're supposed to wait. Not only have we waited like hundreds of years for you to show up, but then when you show up, I have to wait another 20 years for you to grow to adulthood and do anything. And Put that, on your own pants. That kind and, of, yeah. you know, indignation and like how God welcomes that. But also there's obviously a point, like God chose that for a reason and that that humility and that weakness and that all those kinds of things, it just... Her argument was that it shows us that there's no lengths God won't go to, to meet us where we are, to meet us in our very weak and beautiful and broken humanity. I don't know if she listens to this, but thank you, Debbie Thomas. I needed to read that today. And so I'm just really (laughs) grateful uh, because it's just really encouraging because, you know, we do have that dual, this is not what I wanted. This is not what we designed. It's not the way it's supposed to go. And yet we're still all here existing and surviving this mess and and trying to figure out the next thing. And so, you know, where is God meeting us in the midst of all that? I've been watching Call the Midwife a lot, which involves (laughs) dramatic birth scenes Mm -hmm. in a place called Poplar in the UK outside of London. Very under-resourced, just medically Mm -hmm. under-resourced community. And the midwives, not who are sisters and nurse midwives, show up and attend to people's births in their homes. But sometimes they have, you know, they don't get there. They can't get there on their bicycles fast enough. And somebody has to catch the baby. And it it is fascinating to see these stories where the bicycle repairman or the father who traditionally in that time would not have been allowed anywhere near the birth at all. Or, a, you know, an eight-year-old child who finds themselves in the predicament of being the only one with the mother at that time. And sometimes, in some cases, it's the mother herself who, in one particularly dramatic episode, catches the baby in her own living room. Uh-huh. I think there is something very powerful theologically about that idea of, like, somebody had to catch the baby Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. You can't ignore the pangs of childbirth. I don't think you can ignore it, whether you're mo- the mother going through that process, or you're the bystander, or the midwife, you're affected by it, it makes its mark in lots of different physical ways, on even the environment around where the birth occurs. And few of us can forget, if we're privileged enough to be in a space like that, Mm -hmm. as the protagonist or as the bystander, few of us can forget that occurrence. And there's something very mysterious of God being like, like that was pretty smart, really coming because you could ignore you know, and you could talk badly about the king mm-hmm. who failed expectations, or later on, certainly you could crucify the man who did not show up and behave the way we expected and turn things over, certainly for the rich and powerful. But a baby is hard to look away from. Uh, we went into lockdown when Julian was he just turned four months old. And so most of his life has been me and my husband, and it's been wild and terrible and wonderful and all those things all at once. But I mean, maybe that's how I'm reading the Mary story this year is like, I wanted it to look different. (laughs) And when you add Mm. kind of those Mm. shifts in expectation to the very 
normal postpartum hormonal mental health experience it's really it's intense and it it feels so much more isolated and like a wilderness than like in retrospect you can see the support that was there but in the moment you just feel adrift and so that has been really challenging um i mean one of the weird things about working from home and working through this pandemic is uh, i've seen julian crawl for the first time i've seen all these first you know um which is i like what a gift that is and at the same time it's kind of like well if i was just parenting then like there would be some things that would be easier about that even in pandemic time and if i was just working as a pastor at one church if i was just working as pastor at two church, you know like but all of those layers combined um it's been really challenging and people are so gracious and lovely about it and it's challenging to feel like you're never quite on your game. I think what you said about linking your own story and well, I'll just speak for myself in conversation with you, looking back to the becoming a mother, becoming, you know, the the birth of your child. It's very redemptive to me what you said about that Mary, it's truly redemptive mm-hmm. to think about it that way. I, I so mm-hmm. appreciate that. I so appreciate that sacred imagination. And I hope that those of you who are listening will be provoked to go on that little journey um, with Mary. Or Sacred imagination is fun to kind of think about the story and think about the details and like, what were they wearing? And like, and was it cold or warm or, you know, who was, who was there and were there children around or not, or like those kinds of things, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But I think part of the point of it is to experience some of that redemption and resonance and honestly to experience kind of reverse empathy, like God empathizing with you, like to find yourself in the story, you know, Um, and to be reminded that no matter how we're entering the story, Part of the sacred imagination, I think, is being able to find different entry points into the story wherever you need to find it this year and to Mm -hmm. trust that God will meet you there with a word that you need. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Becca. So this has been a lot of fun. Friends, stay tuned and be sure to click subscribe wherever you found this podcast so you don't miss a single special episode this Advent and Christmas season this period of longing and hope in the Christian faith. If you're new to Advent or haven't even heard the word before today, you are going to love our spectacular guests and the moments of reflection in what can be an amazing time of intention and ritual. In the meantime, you can follow along with Becca's new worshiping community online on their website, thewordatbeacon.org. Beautiful and provocative artist renderings on the Christmas story, including Becca's own, are also on the church's Instagram account by the same name, at the word at Beacon. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. We're online at newchurchnewway.org. Our producer is the fabulous Martha Ames Sanders. You can see stories and photos from the humans who make up this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. Catch you next time.